Okay, let's take out our Bibles and we're going to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. So as we begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. My brothers, what I mean is that each... One of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now in chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You know, I remember times as a father, and there were times when I would tell maybe one of the boys, why are you treating your brother like that? Your brothers, or with the girls, your sisters, reminding them who they are in their relationships with one another. There were times when I'd spend a little bit more time on it and I would, I would tell them, look, you know, your, your friends right now that you go to school with, uh, you might keep in contact with one or two of them. But there's a strong chance that of all the people that you know right now, the people that you really keep in contact are you're going to be your brothers and your sisters and your parents. Well, that's kind of what the, uh, the Apostle Paul is doing right now, or God through the Apostle Paul is doing with these Corinthians. They're, they're not experiencing a lot of family harmony within the church uh, at Corinth there. There's some division there, and that's what the Apostle Paul writes to him about. He says, I understand that there's some division there from what I hear from Chloe. It's the word that we get our word schisms from. There's, I hear that there's some divisions among you, and I know that this is true. I believe this to be true. And he says, these are the divisions. And some are saying, I'm of Paul, I follow Apollos. And I don't know if it was people. Both of those men were, had dynamic ministries in that church, so maybe some were led, led to the Lord by the Apostle Paul, and that's who claimed to be from him. Some were led to the Lord by Apollos, that's who claimed to be by him. These different people saying, oh, I'm, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ, I'm of Peter. But the point is, he says, there's, there's division and he says this, this division really shouldn't happen. The Apostle Paul is basically writing these people and saying, look, you're part of the family of God here. There shouldn't be these divisions. These, these we're all part of the same family, God's family. And we all should be, have close relationship with one another. It's, it's crazy for us to be dividing in this way. Now, as he does it, in chapter 1, he recognizes the divisions and, and what's the source or the basis of them. But when you get to chapter 3, we're going to find why we should not have these divisions. 
And the reason is because of who we are. You see, from where he left off in chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 3, he begins talking about wisdom. And he begins talking about this spiritual wisdom, a heavenly wisdom, a divine wisdom. It's not an earthly wisdom. In fact, the, the people of the earth reject it. He says the natural man cannot accept it. But we're different because we've been given the Holy Spirit. So we've been given that Spirit by which we can understand that wisdom, that spiritual wisdom, that divine wisdom. And so when you look at us and our relationships with one another, you should see it. We should be able to see that in the way you relate to each other. God's saying the same thing to us. You are spiritual people with the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. We should be able to see that in the way that you respond one to another. He's calling them to be the family of God that is experiencing a divine unity. It's a supernatural unity. It's a spiritual unity. We see it in 1 Corinthians and chapter 2. In verses 12 through 15, but it says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now notice what he says there. We've been freely given what? The Spirit. So that we can do what? Freely understand. And then he goes on to say, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So notice in this discussion that he's been having with them about this wisdom, it's a wisdom that's from above. It's a wisdom that's wiser than the wisdom of the world. God says, I put my Spirit in you so that you can understand these things that are spiritually discerned. The natural person can't understand them. Why? Because they're spiritually understood. They're spiritually discerned. But then he goes on from there in chapter 3 and verse 1 as we read. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So he's talking to people and he's saying, look, I should be able to address you as spiritual but you're still acting like you're just human. You're still acting in the flesh. You're not, these divisions are not spiritual. They're, they're carnal. They're fleshly. They're worldly. They're, they're being human. And you know what? If you look around at our human experience, you'll find that. What human family among us doesn't have schisms and problems and dysfunction? But the Apostle Paul is writing here and he's saying, look, within God's family, we're a spiritual family with spiritual understanding, spiritual insight. So if we grow spiritually as we should, if we mature spiritually, then we should rise above these human problems. In fact, that's exactly how he words it in verses 3 and 4. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? Merely human. Have you ever had that when you, when you goof up, when you do something wrong, and, and your thought is, well, I am only human. <laughs> That's the whole point. You're not merely human. You've put your faith in Christ. You've been given the Holy Spirit of God. He indwells within you. And so your understanding is beyond human now. It's beyond just natural. Your wisdom is beyond Merely human wisdom, which means that our relationships and our way that we treat one another and our experiences should be beyond merely human experiences. We're called to a higher level and we're equipped 
to operate at a higher level. Now we can choose, as the Corinthians had up to this point, to operate in our flesh and carnality, to operate just in our humanness. But we have both been equipped and commanded to operate not according to our humanness, but according to the cross, which is exactly where he goes in verse 18 of chapter 1. To be able to set aside that self-centeredness and self-seeking attitudes and actions that we have, to be able to put others above ourselves and walk in the shoes of Christ, to follow in his steps, as, as Peter tells us to do. You know, I got to see a glimpse of my own humanness this week, and it was ugly. I didn't like it at all. And in studying this passage, I was reminded that I'm not just human, that I need to rise above that, that some of the ways that I'm used to acting fleshly in need to go, and the ways that I need to act spiritual in need to increase as I yield myself to him. That's what we're looking at. That's what he's calling to us to. So he starts off with the problem. There's disunity, and he commands that unity. Don't live like you're just human. You're more than that. You house the Spirit of the living God with inside of you. Let's live up to that. We've got to focus on what he's calling us to, which is that divine unity. Well, as we look through these passages, we're going to see three necessities of this divine unity. The first necessity that we see of this divine unity is the unity of Christ. It's the unity of Christ. This isn't something that we do in our own strength. This is not pulling yourselves by, up by your own bootstraps. This passage is not a self-help passage. It is a passage about focusing on Jesus Christ and experiencing the unity that we can have in Him. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, is Christ divided? It's a rhetorical question. He's not waiting for an answer. The answer is very obviously no. Christ is not divided. The people that the Apostle Paul reached with the Gospel, who did he lead them to? Christ. The people that Apollo reached with the Gospel, who did he lead them to? Christ. The people that Peter led to Christ, he led them to Christ. Christ is not divided into those camps. People of the church, even Christians, can get sidetracked into those goofy competitions sometimes. We saw that even the the disciples that followed John the Baptist, when they saw that Jesus' disciples were baptizing more people than John the Baptist's disciples were, they went to John the Baptist and said, hey, we noticed they're baptizing more people than us. What are we going to do about that? John says, nothing. That's exactly how it's supposed to happen. It's fine. Well, we're called to this divine unity, and that unity only takes place in Christ. And he says, did Paul die for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? And at this point, he's not diminishing baptism. Baptism is commanded by Christ and part of the Great Commission. But he's saying, look, I'm glad I didn't baptize you. Why? Because he didn't want to be accused of having baptized people into being followers of him. He's saying, I'm glad I didn't do the baptizing because none of you were baptized in my name. You were baptized into Christ. I was, I was pointing you to, to follow Christ and to get baptized into Christ and, and to be His disciple, not my disciple. Christ has to be the focus, not the teachers here. If you look back in the first ten verses of 1 Corinthians, Jesus Christ is mentioned by name ten times. And then it also refers to Him with the pronoun He once too. Jesus Christ is completely the focus of this passage. Everything that the Apostle Paul mentions from verse 1 through verse 10 has something to do with Christ. It's pointed toward Christ in one way or another. This whole passage is just submersed in Jesus Christ. That's exactly where we find the humility to be able to operate in this spiritual wisdom. That's exactly where we find the ability to experience this divine unity. Because what do we see in Christ? 
If Christ was operating in a merely human way, would he have ever let those people pull the beard out of his face? If he was operating in a merely human way, would he have let them hang him on the cross? Would he have endured the the spitting and the ridicule as they're parading him up to where they went to the cross? Would he have looked down from that cross, being merely human, and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Those are supernatural things that he's able to do. Now, he did them as a human, but he did it rising above. And that's exactly what he's calling us to do. If we're saturated with Christ, then it means we're going to lay down our rights. We're going to lay down our desires, our pride to be able to serve other people. In Philippians chapter 2, it puts it this way. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love and any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, I love that because he says this is what it's all based on. If your experience as a Christian, you find anything in these If you find any encouragement in Christ, and of course all of us that were Christian would say, absolutely, we find encouragement in Christ. Absolutely, we find comfort from love. Absolutely, we find participation in the Spirit. We find affection and sympathy. These are all part of our experience as Christians. And he says, if that's so, then you have everything that you need to follow Christ's example. He says, complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one Mind, And then he goes on from there, and it's a lengthy passage, so we're not going to go through all of it, but he goes on from there and points to Christ. But he freely let go of heaven and came and became a man, and then being found in fashion as a man, he became obedient to, the, to death, even death on the cross, which is the most humiliating death you can ever go through. And he said he submitted to all that. Why? For us. And that is the kind of stuff that, that divine unity is built on. Divine unity is built on the example of Christ, on us trusting in Christ, following Christ, and walking in His steps. And that's the way that we experience that divine unity. Well, not only do we find that as a necessity the unity of Christ, but we also find the unity of thought. The unity of thought. We're we're commanded to think the same things, to agree together on certain things. And that is, as we look in our passage in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He's calling us to think of God, to think of the Gospel, to think of theology, doctrine, sound doctrine, to think of all these things in the same way, to be in agreement on these things. He's writing to the Corinthian church, which is a church that he started preaching the gospel, and he was there for a year and a half, and he taught. And then Apollos came in also, and he taught. Timothy spent some time there, and he taught. And so he knows that this is a church that's been grounded in sound doctrine. But they're not behaving like it now, and they're starting to veer off. You need to continue to agree together on these fundamentals of the faith. Unity can be a complicated subject, because... Uh, well, not too long ago, I, I, saw, I even saw something put up on Facebook that basically just said, look, everybody, just, just agree. You know, and <laughs> that's kind of what Apostle Paul's saying here, but within the context of the church and a foundation of sound doctrine. But you know what? There's other places within 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and other places where the, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells the people, you need to divide. Right? We're going to get to chapter 5 and there's going to be an issue of immorality. He says there needs to be a division it takes place here, hopefully, so there can be a reclamation. That that person can be redeemed back into the body of Christ. But even beyond that, he's going to address false teachers, especially when you get into the second letter to the Corinthians. 
And he said, he's going to say, look, when it comes to false teaching, there needs to be a division that takes place. When we talk about unity, it is a unity of thought, a unity of mind, a unity of understanding. It's a unity of truth. And we have to take a stand in those, in those ways. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verses 1 through 5, he tells him, I wish you'd bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes in and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. What has happened is some people have set themselves up within the church in Corinth as teachers. In fact, they've kind of described themselves as super apostles, the way the Apostle Paul refers to them now. And they're trying to get the people of the church in Corinth to stop listening to the Apostle Paul so much and follow them. You know, the Corinthian church in First in Corinthians is divided over Paul, Apollos, Peter, and Paul, Apollos, and Peter would say, no, 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 it's all about Christ. But these people that have stepped up into leadership positions, it looks like now, are saying, no, it's not really about Paul, Apollos, and Peter, it's about us. Listen to us. And they're leading these people astray. And the Apostle Paul says, look, I'm, I have a jealousy for you. A godly jealousy. I brought you to Christ. And now these people are leading you away from Christ. There's not a unity of mind. There's not a unity of truth. There's not a unity of doctrine. The Apostle Paul is teaching one thing. These other people, these false teachers, are teaching something else. And so, he doesn't call them to experience unity with those false teachers. He calls them to divide. Notice, the terminology is all the same. Because the Apostle Paul says, I notice that if somebody else comes in proclaiming to you a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. And they're still using the same terminologies. Jesus Christ, gospel, spirit. They're still using the same terminologies, but they're defining it in ways that it means something different. You know, a description of a different person by the same name is not Jesus. So when we look at this idea of unity, we need to be careful. There's a time where we need to unify and there's a time where there needs to, we need to exercise division. We need to divide. And so when we look around our world today, it's no different than back in Paul's day. When we look around and say, well, why are all these divisions there? Some of those divisions are ridiculous. We find churches that are basically of the same doctrinal statements and stuff like that or that are dividing over things like what kind of music you listen to and, and what kind of clothing you wear and all kinds of other and all kinds of other things. My personal opinion is that those kind of divisions are ridiculous. But at the same time, sometimes there are areas where we need to be divided. When you look at what the so called church is endorsing within our society today, more divisions need to take so that we have a unity of the truth so that the true church is identified clearly. You know, he goes on in Second Corinthians and, and he says this shouldn't really surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that we have people that are in leadership positions in churches that are not of Christ. He says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 
So it is of no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And that's why exactly why he tells them back in chapter 6 of the same book, he tells them, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And the Apostle Paul takes that passage from the Old Testament and he applies it to the Corinthians. And he said, look, these so-called super apostles that are leading you away from the true doctrine of Christ, he says, they're just nothing more than Satan's own ministers. And you need to make a division. Now, here's the deal. Why the division? The division happens to protect unity. Unity is important. That's exactly what we're seeing back in 1 Corinthians in the passage that we're looking at. He tells them you need to stop the dividing. You need to be unified. Unified in what? You need to agree together on these things. You need to agree together. You need to have the same mind. You need to have the same judgment. In other words, you need to, you need to hold to the truth. When he gets on into 2 Corinthians, he says, look, the truth is being broken down and there's being, we have a lot of people in the same church, but they no longer all hold to the truth. We need to get rid of that faction that is going the wrong way. We need to divide so that the church will maintain its unity. But the focus is, even then with that, still unity. You know, the Apostle Paul did the same thing in other places. I think of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. He talks about another another gospel. People coming in and pre- preaching another gospel than the one that they'd given to him. And his answer to that is the same. He says, even if we came in preaching a different gospel than the one we already preached to you, we would need to be accursed. And he repeats it a couple times. Anybody preaching a different gospel than the one that you've already received is accursed. Even if it's an angel from heaven, is accursed. Peter dealt with false teachers in the same way. The Apostle John dealt with false teachers in the same way, calling for the church to make a definite divide so that we can maintain what is the unity of truth, this unity of thought. So, in order to maintain this divine biblical unity, we have the necessity of Christ. Following Christ's example, putting other people before ourselves. We also have this necessity of a unity of thought that the doctrines matter. If you take away everything we believe, there's no reason for us to be gathered together anymore. It is the truth that we come to know Christ. If it's not for that, then it's a different Jesus. It's a different Gospel. It's it's just different. And so we need to have a unity in Christ or of Christ. We need to have the unity of thought. And then lastly, it says we need to have the unity of ministry. Chapter 1 and chapter 3 both are dealing with it because Paul in chapter 1 is saying, look, who am I? Did I die for you? I didn't die for you. Were you baptized into my name? My name means nothing. In chapter 3 as well, he says in verse 5, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. In other words, he's saying, look, uh, who, who am I? I'm, I'm nobody. Well, you just heard the message from me. You just heard the message from Apollos. You just heard the message from Peter. It, we're, that's it. I planted a seed. Apollos came after me. He watered the seed and you became a believer. You know who really did it? God. That's who did it. 
I'm not anybody. It's not the one who plants. It's not the one who waters. It's God that gives the increase. It's, it's Christ. Follow Him. There's a unity to ministry. There's, a, there's competition in our world for a lot of things. And competition's kind of fun. One place there's no room for competition is in ministry. It just doesn't matter. We need people to come to Christ and it doesn't matter which, who, which Christian led them there or whose pastor's messages sent them there. or It just doesn't matter. But you know what? When we're merely human... We can get competitive even in that. I guarantee you, if you go to a pastor's conference, you'll find pastors that are kind of a competing a little bit about who's listening to them or how many people are sitting in the pews. Or, you know, I remember one time, uh, several years ago, I, I preached a couple of years at a camp down in southern Minnesota. I preached at the senior high week down at Camp Victory for two years in a row. And the second year that I was there, after one of the messages in chapel time, this young girl came up to me. She was probably, I don't know, 16, 17, something like that, senior high anyway. She came up to me and she said, thank you. She said, you know what, I've really been getting a lot out of your messages and they're helping me a lot. And I was like, well, praise the Lord for that. Thank you. I'm glad to hear it. And she said, yeah, you know, really surprised me because last year I didn't like you at all. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I was glad to see that in a year's time she got her heart right, but... she went on she kept on with it you know it was like yeah I didn't like you at all and she said in fact when I was looking at camp this year and the brochures and everything came out and I found that you were going to be the speaker again I was kind of bummed about it afterwards I was thinking about it and I thought you know that's okay that's okay you know what if if God's going to use somebody else other than me that's that's okay that's great and that's what the Apostle Paul was saying. He's saying, look, some of you, when you get up into 2 Corinthians, he's going to say, some of you are going to say when he comes, his, weak, his speech is weak. He's not that great of a speaker. He says, that's okay. He's fine with that. Because it's the Gospel itself that really needs to have the power. But he's, when he's looking at this, he's saying, look, some of you are, are enamored with me, some with Apollo, some with Peter. Who cares? Who cares? As long as you get led to the same person, as long as you get led to Christ, that's what matters. You know, if we were to go around this room and say, who's your favorite preacher? People are going to pick different people. David Jeremiah. His name slips my mind. What's the Scottish guy, Glenn? Alistair Begg. He loves Alistair Begg. Loves listening to him. And I like both of those guys. But, you know, John MacArthur. Lots of people. You're going to find from within here a sampling of a lot of different people that, boy, I really get a lot out of this guy's ministry. I get a lot out of that guy's ministry. I'm encouraged. I'm built. You know what? Great. You're gonna get you're gonna be attracted to different the different deliveries, different personalities, different things. But the thing is, you know what, they're they're all just servants. They're all on the same team, they're all wanting to accomplish the same goal, and that's for you, for me, for all of us to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ, to have a mature and a maturing relationship with him through the Spirit of God that he puts within us. And it's that's the unity to the ministry where you know, when I was in the Ukraine, I found it super encouraging to be with people in a different part of the world that spoke a different language, that were all gathered together for exactly the same reason that I gather together with people that I am familiar with every week. They're doing exactly the same thing. Worshiping exactly the same person. Learning about the same, learning from the same book, though you're reading it in a different language. That was super encouraging. And does it matter that they're learning it in Ukraine and I'm learning it in English? Not at all. 
You see, there's a unity to the ministry that travels all around and encompasses this entire world. And we need to participate in that unity. So, to have this divine unity that we're talking about, we need the unity of Christ. Christ needs to be a focus, our focus and, and an accurate description of who Christ is because it also needs to be a unity of thought. We need to be agreeing on these things that are true about the Gospel and about Jesus Christ. And it needs to be a unity of ministry so that we're not competing with one another. It's not about who gets to lead somebody to Christ. It's about the fact that people come to Christ. It's not about who gets to be the encouragement to somebody else. It's about that people are getting encouraged. It's not about who stimulates the growth within you. It's about the fact that you're growing and need to continue to do so. You know what? If we have these factors in our life, then we are likely to participate in this divine unity that rises above our humanity and celebrates what we have in Christ.